What's up, what's up, what's up? It's Vegas, a.k.a. Mr. 702, live from the building, and we are about to go under the armor. The power of no. No. N-O. Nah. Nah. No way. Absolutely not. This is one of my favorite expressions. I believe that when wielded wisely, no is an instrument for integrity and a shield against exploitation. It often takes courage to say no. We live in a society where as soon as you tell somebody no, they look at you as if you're the final boss in a video game. Or you are just the worst person. Or you're that one guy on Lifetime that is going to do the most messed up thing in the whole entire movie. We often consider no to be rude, disrespectful. And just overall abrasive. However, I believe that no is one of the most impactful and critical words that we can use within our English dictionary. There's a lot to be said for the power of yes. And yes, being willing to take risks and being willing to do things is very, very important. I strongly support risk taking and the practice and the courage that comes with being an open hearted individual. However, I'm going to be straight honest with you. I cannot stress the importance of learning how to utter the word no. No has the power to slam the shut the windows between oneself and the influence and the desires of others. Saying no is rarely celebrated. And oftentimes it is, in fact, demonized. However, being the person who says no. And saying no to an individual can help prevent misunderstandings and defuse negative and toxic situations. There has to be a true strength in expressing the word no. And even when you express the word no, it can be confusing and even challenged by others. No is an affirmation of self-implicity, acknowledging personal responsibilities. It says that while each of us interact with each other, with the people that we love, with the people that we respect, with the people that we value, these relationships are very, very critical. However, we do not and we cannot allow ourselves to be influenced by them at all times. The strength we draw from saying no is that it underscores the hard truth of maturity. We can stop and prevent negative situations. We can stop toxic interactions. And we can prevent ourselves from being in a very, very frustrated and upset emotional state just by saying no before it even starts. Now, no is both a tool for those who may want us to do something, but it's also a tool for ourselves. It is a barrier by which we establish and maintain distant perimeter of self. No says that this is who I am. This is what I value. This is what I will do. And this is what I will not do. This is how I choose to act. We certainly love 
those around us, our significant other, our children, our family, our friends. And we want to cooperate with others. We want to live in a pleasant life of harmony. But if we were to be quite honest, even though we might share similar goals, customs, and traditions, at the core of us, we are all distinctly separate. And we need to establish a no in order to make sure that we have carved out and support that space of our individuality. No recognizes that we are agents of our own limit. For most of us, this is a self-in-charge, holy responsibility. And it is powerful. It is very, very, very powerful because it makes us aware as adults. We often approach this with a two steps. We do not want to be unpleasant unto others. We do not want to ruffle people's feathers. We do not want to upset the apple cart. And because of that, we oftentimes do not say no, or we say no when things are too bad, when things are too late, when things have gone awry. However, no is just not for other people. No is more importantly for ourselves. We have to turn our inward and create boundaries between ourselves and others. And the struggle to strengthen our internal no the one that addresses our own self-destructive, impulsive, unethical, unmoral desires is a daily struggle. I oftentimes say that that battle between what you want to do and what you need to do, what you have to do, and what you rather do is quite an intense battle. We deal with it each and every day. We could want to lay in bed. All day, watching Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, videos, Netflix, Snapchat, Hulu, and for my anime fans, Crunchyroll. However, we know that if we reside in this bed and that we we don't take ourselves to work, then there's going to be so much negative consequences. So we have to tell our desires to be lazy and lethargic, no, and get ourselves up and go to work. Now, this internal no is the almighty sword that we call self-discipline. Now, the no that we direct to ourselves is that self-discipline itself governs us. It allows us to contain, control, and manage our, our urges and desires in conflict with our true priorities. Trust me, if it was all up to us, we would do exactly what we want to do when we want to do it. However, we know that when we do that, we face massive consequences. As a personal trainer, I, I, I see it all the time. Just being undisciplined in your diet, instead of eating what is healthy, instead of eating what you know you should eat, you know, Instead of just drinking your protein shake, you decide to go to Chick-fil-A. And one Chick-fil-A sandwich turns into two Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And a week of Chick-fil-A turns into two weeks of Chick-fil-A. And now every time that you go to work, instead of packing your lunch and eating smart and eating healthy, you're going out to eat with your friends and stuff. Next thing you know, your favorite jeans do not fit. That dress that you love so much is not fitting you the way that it should be. You want to know why? Because you did not tell yourself no 
restrict yourself from enjoying all these delicious foods. And you probably also told yourself that you could sit down and not work out as well. Because we know that when we deny ourselves, when we tell ourselves no, when we restrict ourselves on a daily, we are making this habit so much stronger and it improves our self-discipline and our overall willpower. However, if we have the power to tell our ourself no, then we also have to have the power to tell others no. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Telling others no involves massive amounts of wisdom. I don't think that it would be wise for you to tell your partner no each and every day. It's probably not going to make for a good relationship. Um, I don't think it's wise for you not to tell your friends no, because this can lead to resentment and an overall toxic relationship. How much no is too much? Who turns down a needy friend? Who turns down a person that has really, truly asked for help? Where is the line between self-accusation and self-selfishness? When is it that we have to refuse to lend support to a modest effort of a group? What is the boundary between the important principles and being self-centered and being a person that is all about oneself? I don't have a pure answer. All I know is that if I could be honest for a second, we all are on this journey and we have to realize that our time and our energy is sacred. And there are going to be people that you would want to bend over back for because you not only love and respect them, but you know that without a shadow of a doubt, when in need, that that type of camaraderie, that type of support would be given unto you. And then there's going to be some people you plain old tell no, because you know that the energy, the time, the effort, the emotional aptitude that you have is not sustainable for what they're trying to accomplish. So learn how to not only tell others no, but more importantly, learn how to tell yourself no. Deny yourself what you want Right now, in this moment, in this instant, believing that in the long run, the world will be so much greater. So get in the mirror and practice saying N to the O. I have failed at many things in life. I have failed at business. I have failed at work. I have failed in relationships. I have failed on my diet. I have failed in so many different areas of my life. I am nothing but a humble human, imperfect, and I have tasted the sweet victory, and I've also experienced the bitterness of failure. Failure is okay. In fact, failure is more than okay. It is absolutely necessary. Looking at the history of some of the most successful people to walk the earth, such as Thomas Edison, Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, failure is actually good for us for a number of reasons. Failure makes us far more interesting, and we learn so much from failure. There's a saying that you really can't teach somebody anything when they're being successful because the high and the joy of being successful often clouds the judgment. And if you know anything about sports, a team can pick up negative habits and still win. 
And then those negative habits in the championship or in the most important game can rear their ugly heads because it is very hard to tell somebody who is winning or who is successful that you need to fix X, Y, and Z. We oftentimes get defensive like, but I'm winning, but I'm I'm doing a great job. And, and that can be one of the hardest things to do. However, I will tell you that failure is such a beautiful thing because it oftentimes lays the groundwork for your future success. Failure is a life skill that is so necessary if you want to succeed within life. Many businesses improve after failing. Teams get better and learn how to win, oftentimes after failing to win the big game or the championship. The lessons are golden after failure, and they are often the foundation of your future. Research shows that failure paired with feeling of incompetence can lead to self-sabotage and often increases one's ability to procrastinate. We all know somebody that is immensely talented, someone who should have owned their own restaurant, who should have started their own care center, who should have wrote that book or should have created that wonderful project product. The world is often not our biggest opponent. Our greatest adversary is ourselves. That little voice inside our head that prevents us from taking the first step. If we as people are afraid to fail and we as people do not believe in ourselves, then we're probably going to fail simply by not trying. You can say you want this, that, and the third, all you want. But until your words are in unison with your actions, then you are doing nothing but wasting the good oxygen that is on this great earth. But, however, if you are open to failure, if you are willing to fail, if you are confident in spite of knowing that there will be a possibility of you failing, you are going to be able to achieve so much more. Because even through failure, you would have been learning what you need to do either next time or this time to succeed. A perfect example of this. When I was teaching my daughter how to walk, she would rumble. She would stumble. She would tumble. She would lose her balance and crash to the floor. And of course, just like every other daughter, she would cry. She would get upset. And just like every other dad, I would come over there like Superman and do my daddy thing. I would pick her up and give her words of encouragement. I would kiss her boo-boos and let her know that everything was going to be okay. However, I would always encourage her that it was time to try again. And she would. And then a little bit later, she would stumble and tumble and lose her balance and crash to the floor. And she would do this over and over and over and over and over again until she mastered the process of walking all by herself. Like my daughter, we can fail. So what? That business you started didn't go as well as you intended. Or you didn't get picked for the promotion. Or you missed the game winning shot. You are going to feel upset and even a little bit down. Yes, let's be honest. You are going to experience some despair. However, that failure in that moment is very, very real. 
but it is a speck in the sands of time. And it is most important to realize that failure is just a healthy part of life. Feeling like a failure after a critical situation or incident simply just means that you're human. I remember when I lost my first MMA fight. It was due to not listening to my coach. And I was sick. This man was not better than me. I don't believe he could beat me. And if we fought 10 times out of 10, I was going to take his head off for the next 10. However, I had to be honest. I was so disappointed at myself. And I was so frustrated because I felt like I had spent all this time training, all this time dieting, cutting down so I could weigh 185 pounds, and all the attention and effort that my team had blessed me with resulted in a loss. And after that failure, I had a few options. I could wallow in my own misery like pigs in a pen, or I could learn how to cope from that failure, understanding that there were golden nuggets within that that could help me succeed in the future. The more that we manage to bounce back from failure, the less scarier failure will seem. And if we are not petrified by failure, we will be more likely to take the kind of risk that can really, really, truly pay off. Recovering from a setback builds confidence and failure is a skill to develop. If we are going to fail, then we also have to understand that it is also a process of getting back up. Gaining that confidence and going into a new situation with greater understanding because we know that no matter what else happens, we are able to overcome that adversity and rise again. As it turns out, a wealth of science research suggests that making mistakes makes us smarter. Who would have thought that? That simply making mistakes will make us smarter. If you've ever watched the Discovery Channel, you know this to be true. Because animals in their natural habitat will figure out things after a mistake. Oh, we can't go to that watering hole because Johnny got ate by the alligator. Or, oh, we can't run across this savanna because the lion last time got one of our children. And so they will literally change their course of actions or even change some of their patterns just because they got smarter because of the failed situation. Um, The Journal of Applied Science concluded that during a screw-up, we have a higher rate of learning. This is so true. If you've ever played sports, you know that after you lose a game, coach starts figuring out all type of things you can do. Oh, we need to play this defense. Oh, we need to play that offense. Oh, we need to do here. We need to do there. Oftentimes, it's not the failure that cripples us. It's the fear. It's the self-loathing. It's the, oh, I'm not good enough. That can be a serious hindrance to our next step. A great scientist named David Burns said, I suspect that you will find that a great many of your negative feelings and are, in fact, based on such errors of thinking. Like, we have to understand that failure is a part of our life. And we are going to fail today. We are going to fail tomorrow. And sometimes you fail intentionally and other times you fail unintentionally. And yes, there are some factors that simply we cannot 
control or we cannot determine, but we can always determine how we get back up. Just like every superhero movie, every anime story, we all should look at ourselves as the main character. The character that no matter how bad they get beaten down, no matter how much adversity is set before them, no matter how hopeless the situation seems, that if we keep believing in ourselves, believing in our ability, believing in our intelligence, believing in our ability to overcome this adversity, that if we just keep stepping forward one foot and one step at a time, day by day, the end result, you're going to be ultimately and undeniably successful. So go out there, fail, figure it out, adjust, overcome, because the greatness that waits on the other side of that failure is the greatness that's going to make you so successful, not only in your business life and your personal life and everything else that's around you. Do not be afraid to fail. What's up? Thank you for taking the time to tap into this podcast. If you want to follow me on social medias, you can follow me on Facebook at Joshua Broomfield. You can follow me on Instagram at VegasMr702.com. If you have any comments, feedback, or you have any suggestions for the podcast, you can go ahead and either hit me up directly on both those sites, or you can go ahead and email me at VegasMr702 at Gmail. Once again, thank you for checking out the podcast and follow me. I'll make sure to follow you back. We live in a very complex society where we have the real world and then we have a virtual world. And I think that because we are spending so much time in our virtual world, that our real world is beginning to change. We tend to trust what goes on in our brain. After all, if you can't trust your own brain, what can you really trust? For most of our life, this has been a good thing. Our brain is actually wired to alert us to danger, to attract us potential mates, and find solutions to problems we encounter each and every day. However, there are occasions where we need to second guess our own brain, where we need to second guess our own thought process, where we need to second guess our own emotions. Everything that your brain, your body, everything that you feel is not necessarily a lie, but it may not truly be the 100% truth. See, the one thing with our brain is it, it likes to connect things. And sometimes it can create false narratives within our own brain. Our brain is built and wired to connect thoughts and ideas and actions and consequences. But uh, sometimes there's no connection at all. This tendency to make connections, whether it be true or not, is a bias of a common problem when it is when it comes to interpreting research assumptions that two variables are correlated. One causes or leads to other. The refrain correlation does not equal causation. 
It is familiar for many students in the psychology and the social science setting. It is all too easy to view. Coincidence are complicated relationships and in our brain because it moves so, so fast. It can easily make false or oversimplistic assumptions based upon no facts at all. This is what we like to call congenital distortion or what I like to call living in a utopia. Congenital distortion is a biased perceptive we take on ourselves and the world around us. It is irrational thoughts and beliefs that we are unknowingly enforcing within ourselves over time. These patterns and systems of thoughts are often subtle, subtle, small, not even something that's on the surface level. And to be quite honest with you, they can be extremely difficult to recognize. Um, it's very, very important to train your brain. Out of all the muscles, out of my shoulders that somebody told me wouldn't go down, or my back or my biceps, or, you know, I hit that leg day twice a week. My most important two pieces of, 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 of muscle is my soul and my brain. And I have to really make sure that I exercise my brain all the time because there's so many things that are being that are trying to grab it, whether it be, you know, in front of me or whether it be subconsciously that I don't even really get to think about it. However, let's talk about this congenital distortion. It's a tendency or a pattern of thinking or believing that is false and inaccurate, and it has the potential to cause psychological damage. It, it I mean, it, it really is. It's, it's when you study this it's truly scary because you can create a whole alternate universe in your mind that is not even part of the world that we live in. I was arguing with an individual. Well, I ain't going to say arguing, but I was debating with an individual early this week about my truth versus the truth. My, your truth, or quote unquote, my truth it's not the truth. And for a person like me who believes in stoicism, I am seeking the truth. And I am oftentimes slaying or forcing my truth to be in accordance with the truth. If we are humans, which we are, we have the ability to fall into these rut of thinking patterns. They're ruts. They're very, 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 very under the surface. Because once our thinking becomes distorted, then it really, really, really plays with our emotions. And over time, there has been a true link to cognitive distortion and the relations of symptoms like depression and anger and in split personality and different things like that. Like the errors in thinking or the cognitive distortions are particularly effective at provoking or increasing symptoms of depression. It is one of the easiest ways to make yourself feel bad. And it, it, it really goes hand in hand. And some of the most common 
ways of distorting your thinking is all is is all or nothing. Overgeneralizing, discounting the positive, jumping to conclusions, mind reading, fortune telling, magnifying and minimizing, emotional reasoning, should statements, labeling and mislabeling, and personalization. Oftentimes when I feel myself getting upset or when I feel myself becoming enraged with emotions, I immediately step back. I, I, I try to put a system in place where when I am not at my quote unquote base state that I take a step back because it is then for me personally, that's when things need to be audited. Is this a bad situation or did I miss something? Is this a terrible moment or is this a terrible day? And I think that for a lot of these um, thinking patterns, I think just stopping to audit yourself and to kind of get fact over feeling. And one of the, the biggest things that I've developed in my adult life is Respecting the facts and making my feelings submit to my overall standard of life. And I think that that helps with things like all or nothing thinking. That's very, very dangerous because nobody can be or all or nothing can be all positive all the time or or just even jump into conclusions. Just get the facts. I think that being a a person of sound mind, I don't want to assume anything. I want to know what I know because when I know what I know and I make a decision, that's a sound decision. Now, perfect example, you assume your significant other is going to feed themselves. So you walk in the house with four fire street tacos. Now your partner is looking at you like you are the biggest asshole in the world because instead of taking that moment to call or text, you in return assume that they were okay when they really weren't. Um, Another way to step back and just think is emotional reasoning. How you feel in comparison to what is going on does not always have a direct connection. Oftentimes, we feel the way we feel based upon the information that we have. And we can create these emotions based upon false information, based upon incomplete information, or based upon information that we have kind of skewed to serve our own narrative. We have to start living in a world where we understand that our mind is the most precious and sacred thing other than our soul. And we have to begin to tame and discipline and put our mind under an order so that it will discipline our feelings. It will discipline our emotions. We cannot get to a state where we think that our emotions can lead us because we all know we've all been on an emotional roller coaster and there's nothing fun about it. So before you start to distort the world, take a second, breathe, meditate, and audit yourself to make sure that this is facts and not feelings. 
Remember, to be more real, be more human, be more honest. Catch me next time as we continue to go under the armor.